Ever wonder why luxury hotel mattresses are so dreamy? It's because those hybrid mattresses combine both comfort and support to make you feel like you're sleeping on a cloud. With Dream Cloud, you can get a luxury mattress made with premium materials at half the price of traditional hybrid mattresses. Dream Cloud combines the perfect blend of comfy memory foam and supportive springs. Comfortable sleep is about more than just the mattress you sleep on. And that's why every Dream Cloud also comes with $399 in accessories. Plus get $200 off a 365-night home trial, free shipping and returns, and a forever warranty. Go to dreamcloudsleep.com today. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're still in Hamilton, Ontario, after 28 years of broadcasting, Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. My guest this hour is Dr. Glenn McPherson. He's lectured for 16 years at the University of British Columbia. Um, let me see, training mathematics teachers in the Faculty of Education and now works with UBC Robson Campus with its GMAT and GRE curriculum program. He is also an ethnographic researcher and a high school teacher of physics, mathematics, psychology, general science, and biology. He lives and works on the west coast of British Columbia in beautiful Canada. His books, articles, and speaking engagements focus primarily on mathematics education. Now, after first noticing the hum in the spring of 2012 and discovering the hum community, he sensed the need for a unified, moderated, and serious place for discussion and research surrounding the world hum. This led to the World Hum Map and Database Project. The leading theory is that the hum is an internally generated audiological phenomenon possibly related to autoacoustic emissions. Note that tinnitus is also a self-reported uh, audio effect, although it manifests quite differently from the hum. Now there are four competing theories. This is a place for disciplined inquiry and not for wild speculation and conspiracy. There are many entertaining and interesting websites available for those who want to indulge in those activities. Now, the website that uh, Glenn is responsible for, and it's a great website, I happened to go there earlier tonight and check it out, is thehum.info. That's thehum.info. And Glenn, welcome to the X-Zone. How are things in British Columbia tonight? A little bit rainy out here, Rob, um, but we expect that, don't we? Glad to be with you. Well, we're glad that you're with us, Glenn. Uh, Tell us, uh, how did you get involved with the hum? Well, uh, my story reflects that of many others. uh, As you mentioned in your intro piece, uh, it was in the spring of 2012, living on the Sunshine Coast of BC, when I, I had heard um, after 10 p.m. at night what I thought were uh, seaplanes or float planes mm-hmm. flying overhead. But after uh, a while, after a couple of days, that simply didn't make any sense. Um, and so one evening after about 10, 10.30 p.m., I went outside to take a look at what was going on, and then the noise stopped. And that led me on um, an interesting series of uh, informal investigations that ultimately um, led me to going online and looking um, up a fairly generic sounding uh, web search, something along the lines of 
uh, unusual low frequency humming noise. And then I discovered that uh, I was hearing uh, what is now widely known as the worldwide hum. Now, would these be the same type of noises that people have reported that are known as the Ticonderoga guns? I would think not. I think that there's a whole category of uh, unexplained sounds, Mm -hmm. Uh, everything from the so-called sky trumpets and Gabriel's horns and the and the booms, yeah, uh, and so on and so on. Um, and I'm not um, particularly interested in those simply because I don't. There's not enough hours in the day to research those. But I think in my particular case, there's such a widespread um, uh, reporting of this phenomena by some very everyday and quite credible and very serious people um, that, uh, and it's what I happen to hear. And so that's the, that's what I'm interested in as a researcher. Now, do other people in your neighborhood hear the hum as well? Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, I, I live in a fairly small place. Right. Uh, on this entire peninsula, there may be only 20,000 permanent residents. Um, from our best estimates, somewhere between 2 to 3% of the populations under the right conditions um, can, uh, can sense the worldwide uh, hum. Uh, as opposed to, let's say, 80 to 90 percent of people who at some time or another um, might experience uh, tinnitus or transient tinnitus, which I which I want to stress early on is quite a different phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Now, when you said sense the hum, yeah, um, how do you relate that to how do you relate that feeling or the feeling of one sensing something compared to the audio uh, acoustics of a hum? I use that term um, to um, stress the fact that my best evidence now mm-hmm. is that the worldwide hum is not in fact a sound in the traditional sense. That is some external uh, mechanical um, oscillation of airwaves. Um, just like tinnitus is not a sound in the usual sense or, or in the classic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe what I should also do is just state what the classic description sure. of the sound is Good idea. for your listeners. Yeah, the the classic description which first uh, emerged in the 1960s, mid to late 1960s out of England, where the hum was first reported in a widespread and reliable way, that classic description is that the hum sounds like uh, a car or truck idling outside one's home. And it has some unusual characteristics. It's louder indoors than outdoors. And it's louder at night than during during the day. And it can usually be masked quite uh, easily by background noise, such as a bathroom fan or um, or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So wh- why do you think that it was first noticed in England instead of some other part of the world? Well, that, of course, is um, crucial, um, not only to tracking down its source, but to understanding it. I have a few people, when they have time, who are examining the historical record. For example, I myself and a few others have gone back to the times of London, all the way back to, let's say, 1790, Mm -hmm. looking for um, similar types of reports. Now, there are some intriguing things in and amongst all the mysterious stuff with the ghost stories and all that sort of thing. Um, You know, for example, from the mid-1800s, we see several reports of people describing what they thought was a very huge swarm of bees, um, which is, which is sort of intriguing, but yeah. not entirely, not a, not entirely, um, different from what a person who hears the hum might describe. So there's the historical aspect. In other words, just to answer your question, um, right now I'm operating on the assumption that it did start in England in the mid to late 1960s and that because I made that initial assumption mm-hmm. led to the first line of inquiry first suggested in 2004 by Dr. David Deming in his seminal paper on the hum in which he, in which he concluded that the most likely explanation for the source of the hum was that it was caused by the massive very low frequency military transmitters used to communicate with submerged submarines around the world and the the governments of the United States of America, um, Russia, well, then, then the Soviet Union, now Russia, China, India, and so on, all operated and still operate, in fact, those massive VLF transmitters. And I conducted several um, 
physical experiments, and I'm now all but ready to throw that hypothesis out. I, I found no supporting evidence for that. All right, so that it started in England, and how did it progress around the world? Is there a pattern? Yes, um, but again, uh, we're relying on widespread media reports as opposed to individuals, you know, uh, individually detailing their experiences. If we go simply by the media reports, the hum arrived in America um, mid to late 1980s, and there were several very well-known um, epicenters, if you will, mm -hmm. the most famous of which, which most of your listeners um, will have heard of, is, is in Taos, New Mexico. Yes. The Taos home was even mentioned, um, unfortunately, in my view, uh, on the X-Files TV show. It's, it had sort of that level of notoriety. Now, some people, again, I think who are really behind the ball in terms of modern research on the hum, even still refer to the worldwide hum as the Taos hum. And I think that's a, a grossly outdated moniker for what I'm studying. The phenomenon is worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, it now appears to blanket the English-speaking world. And my survey and map uh, are just now being translated into Mandarin Chinese. And translations for Russian, Dutch, and German are now on our, 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 will be online soon. And so we hope to then see if this is, in fact, a global phenomenon, which I'm almost convinced it is. If it is a global phenomenon, what significance will it have on the world? Several. Um, first is the suffering. Now, for me, the hum is more of a scientific curiosity mm -hmm. than anything else. I, I don't suffer from it. Right. Um, occasionally, I will sit back and simply wonder uh, about it when I hear it at night, which right. I, when, when it's quiet here, I hear it every night. All right, listen, you and I have got to take a break. Please stand by. Uh, Glenn, great having you with us. Exo Nation, Glenn McPherson. Dr. Glenn McPherson is our special guest this hour. And we're talking about the worldwide hum. His website, www.thehum.info. And uh, Dr. McPherson and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.
Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Exonation, uh, Dr. Glenn McPherson is my guest this hour. We're talking about The Hum, www.thehum.info. All right, uh, Dr. Glenn, uh, you and I were talking previously before we went to the break about the significance of the establishment of The Hum. What would it mean to the world? And you had told us that there are people who were suffering from The Hum. And before we get into the rest of that, have there been official reports made to governmental agencies about The Hum? Very much so. Uh, probably the most famous one um, across our country in Canada uh, has missed the mark, in my view. For example, the Windsor Hum, which many Canadian listeners will be aware of. Um, in my view, from everything that I've seen and reading the report from Dr. Colin Novak, the, the so-called Windsor Hum, or maybe maybe we should more accurate, accurately call it the Windsor Disturbance, um, is caused by industrial activity over on Zug Island on the American side. Now, that's an actual noise in my view. Right. Um, so we, we've had that. And in Kokomo, Indiana, and in the Taos, New Mexico, and Hueytown, Alabama, and in some of these other places, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there have been formal investigations, and, and, and the results have never been conclusive. The, I think what happened in Kokomo, Indiana, is particularly interesting. Um acoustic experts and engineers came in and with quite sophisticated equipment located two pieces of industrial equipment that were malfunctioning and generating quite large amounts of low frequency sound and, and even lower than that so-called infrasound. Now those two pieces of machinery were corrected and then the scientists and the national press and everybody went away but the hum continued and now the level of complaints dropped, but reports of the hum went on. And so sometimes regular, everyday human-caused sound is conflated with um, what I'm researching. And there are, in fact, many sources of everyday low-frequency sound, everything from highway traffic to marine traffic to mining and so on and so on. So it's quite difficult teasing that out of the data, but it's something that my survey aim, aim, aims to do. What do the different governmental agencies and bodies say about the hum and the people that are that the hum is actually disturbing? Well, unfortunately, again, in my view, for many years, the, the worldwide hum has been connected to all manner of conspiracy and um, pseudoscience, and in mm -hmm. some cases, outright lunacy. And that's made it difficult. I mean, going at this now for five or six years, I think I've worn down most of those uh, walls of incredulity. However, still, sometimes reports of the hum are met with uh, disbelief or apathy. And what will happen is some people who, who, are, who don't realize that they're hearing the hum will make formal complaints to local authorities, mm -hmm. who ultimately might send out people with recording equipment who either will record a localized low-frequency source or can't record it. And despite my best efforts and other uh, efforts of other researchers, to my view, the worldwide hum that I'm researching has, in fact, never been recorded. Um, you may see reports out of New Zealand from Dr. Thomas Moore and that sort of thing, and I don't accept those reports. But um, 
So government authorities have had sort of a imprecise and lackluster response to this issue. Are there new hums being reported at any specific rate? And is there anything that happens within the area of the hum that would kind of connect the hum with the, let's say, the opening of a new plant? Yeah. And... Uh, of course, having a background in qualitative research, I, I do have to view even my own data with a certain level of skepticism. Like for all I know, mm -hmm. upwards of five uh, to ten percent, maybe even fifteen percent of the data on my website is not reliable, and that's because some people don't take reasonable efforts to to track down the source of the noise. And so we all know, for example, that over still water, some sounds can carry a tremendous distance. And underground mining activity can also mm -hmm. travel a great uh, distance. Another thing that typically causes waves of reports to come to my website are not local phenomena, but simple, ra simply radio and, and TV shows. Um, so, um, without naming any of your competitors, but there have been there was one one TV show, for example, that aired in the last few months that had over four and a half million viewers. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's those types of things that will cause a spike. Uh, next week, I'll be meeting with NHK, that's Japan's national broadcaster. And they have a potential audience of 160 million people. And so obviously, when a very large media event happens, um, that will typically correlate with the increase in reports to the website. But how do you validate those reports? Because... I know for a fact when there is a UFO report, UFO reporting centers get spikes. Yes. Bigfoot, um, the rest of it, because it seems that people just want to be part of something. Whether they hear it or not, they feel compelled to make a report because anything that is, is slightly resembling the phenomenon that has been reported, they will have heard. So how do you how do you separate the wheat from the chaff and get accurate numbers? Excellent question, and I'm um, comforted by the fact that roughly three quarters uh, to eighty percent of the people who report to my database mm -hmm. discovered it independently through web searching and not by referral or by hearing about it elsewhere. Now that is that that shows that we can eliminate to some degree the the element of mass hysteria, or even mental illness. But um, if but if somebody's just doing a, a search, let's say somebody sees a uh, a rerun of the of the X File episode mm -hmm. that talks about the Taoist hum, and they right. go online and they find it, and they say, "Hmm, you know what? I remember hearing a sound." Sure. You know, so how, once, once again, how do you validate? It, sure. And the way I validate it is through the screening questions I ask. And I ask a large number of questions. If you go to the database link mm -hmm. onto the website, you can even see the form. Um, and so I use that to filter out people who um, either have not put any significant effort into it, mm -hmm. the people who, for example, hear a sound that's louder during the day than during the nighttime, that's almost certainly an, an industrial or an anthropogenic source, uh, and so on and so on. In other words, I see if their self-reported experience matches um, the criteria that I've laid out. And this, I think, is a good place where um, I do what I insist on doing is in all these interviews, uh, um, no matter who it's with, I um, insist that I get to ask two questions, and I wondered if you would indulge me. Sure. Question number one: uh, Do you believe do you believe that uh, tinnitus is real? Definitely. My wife has it. Number two: Why do you believe it's real? Well, because it's been verified by doctors. Um, well, I've got some news for you. Mm. Uh, tinnitus is self-reported. There is no external test for it. I beg to differ. So, uh, no, the, the, the external testing um, is on the fringes in maybe one or two laboratories from what I've seen. But in general, no doctor ever, uh, doctors simply take patients at their word when they report tinnitus. And so the question is, if we take people's word when they report a high frequency mm -hmm. sound, why would we not take their word when they report a low frequency sound? 
Well, first of all, let's get back to the tinnitus because I disagree with you on that. Go ahead. Okay, my wife suffers from Meniere's disease. One of the, she has always complained about the high pitch. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's part of Meniere's. There are certain medication that she takes that numbs the tinnitus effect, right. and and neurologically, tinnitus can be confirmed. And tell me how that is. I'm not a neurologist. But she's gone yeah. to it. She's gone to enough neurologists, and they have confirmed the fact that it has something to do with the nerves, a nerve in the ear, or something to do with the eardrum. I forget, but it yeah. is something that they can diagnose and say, "Yes, bang, the diagnosis is there." Sure, and like I said, I've in the last six months looked at some of the leading edge laboratory work. But my mm-hmm. bigger point is the fact that doctors, without any such neurological confirmation, will accept self reports of, of of sounds that nobody else can hear. So it comes back to my logical point: if we will accept such self reports of high frequency sounds, why would we not accept accept self reports of low frequency sounds? So let me ask you this question: If somebody says they saw a UFO in the sky, you look up in the sky, you don't see the UFO. Does that does that mean the UFO is real or a figment of the person's imagination? Excellent. And so now what we get to is the question of number one: How repeatable and widespread um, are these are these reports? Mm -hmm. And how and are there any aspects to it that are diagnostic? Let me give you an example. For anyone who hears the hum. There are several specific tests that we can do that are highly diagnostic. Here's one of them. For someone who like, shakes their head or exhales loudly, for those who hear the hum, there is a classic, let's say, one-third second to one-half second disruption in the hum, and then it quickly returns. And so with the UFO phenomena, and I, and I, I, I reserve judgment on that. I don't know the subject well enough. Um, although I do know Chris Rutkowski um, through Family Connections, mm-hmm. um, um, with, with with UFOs we don't have any sort of analogous test that we can compare that way. So you mean if it can't be tested, it can't be real? Well, what I'm saying is that um, reality um, has a democratic element to it. All right, For stand example, by. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back after the news. Exonation, Dr. Glenn McPherson is our special guest, www.thehum.info. We'll both be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. From our broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond, you're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network www.xzbn.net The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213 213- 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. There we are. Oh, thanks, Craig. You pushed the right button. Kind of had me a little worried there, Paul. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Glenn McPherson is our special guest. www.thehum.info All right. So we were talking about the hum and how, um, you know, we talked about tinnitus. We talked about, you know, just because somebody looks up in the sky, they see a UFO. Somebody else looks up, they don't see a UFO. Or a UFO is real. Same thing applies to every aspect within the realm of the paranormal. Uh, so you were you were saying that you yourself have done extensive research into tinnitus and and so on and so forth. So please take it on from there, sir. Well, uh, yeah, I was just going to very briefly make a perhaps a philosophical point, which is that reality has a very democratic element to it. For example, if 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 we if someone tells us that he sees purple rats running up and down the walls. And I think that by show of hands, we could think that this is some sort of schizophrenic uh, hallucination and that we would vote that that's not real. But if someone claims to hear an annoying high frequency squealing noise, we would all just nod our heads in sympathy and say, yeah, you have tinnitus, even though we have no external evidence to support that. So therefore, there's a democratic element to some of this with regard to UFOs. I mean, it is a fascinating subject, but again, it's it's not one that I feel qualified to comment on. So, if you're only saying that two to three percent of the of uh, the people who were um, were report who were in the area who actually heard the hum, you know, mm -hmm. so so what is the significance of it if only two or three people hear it, and how do we actually know that they're actually hearing it if the other percentage doesn't hear a thing? Well, um, for example. Um, it's pretty well established in the uh, audiology, uh, audiology literature that those who cipher, uh, suffer from hyperacusis are able to uh, detect sounds at a lower volume and in some cases at lower frequencies than others. Mm -hmm. that's, that's easily established. And so, for example, are you familiar with what the teenagers might call the mosquito ringtone? Are you familiar with this? No. Okay, so um, I'm in my early 50s, and as a result, the high end of my uh, audio response has dropped down to, let's say, 16,000 hertz, 16 mm -hmm. kilohertz. But the young teenagers in my classrooms have a higher end of 17.5 to 18 kilohertz. Therefore, if somebody has a ringtone that beeps um, above my hearing range, all the students can break out in laughter because they can all hear it, and I can't. So, in other words, and there's no questioning the reality there. In other words, in that case, all those people are hearing something that I can't. And so, when it, hearing is very complex and almost unlike vision or any other sense, including tactile, hearing is unique in that there's huge variation in people's abilities to hear and the kind of sound signals that the body and external phenomena sent to the brain. So it, it is very difficult to sort out. I, I'm not dodging your question. Uh, I think the question is that um, that we, to, to some degree, we have to accept 
um, what people self-report when they've got no advantage in doing so. And when large, large numbers of other people re report highly similar experiences, and the, and the reason it's significant is because of medical suffering. And, and um, I, ha I must also say, on a personal note, mm -hmm. that what kind of keeps me going on this is uh, amongst the hundreds of emails that I receive on this topic every month, a good number of them uh, come from people who report almost breaking down in tears over the fact that they realize that they're not crazy and that there's a lot of very serious, everyday, sensible people who hear this. And if I can bank on any credibility being a high school teacher in a small town or university lecturer, if I can bring any credibility from that to what I'm studying, then uh, I hope that I'm accomplishing something in the long run. What happens if the hum turns out to be a natural, uh, a natural anomaly? What well, you know, well, that, you know, like, isn't there a lot of attention being being given to something that won't be able to be solved? I think that that's one of the four theories that I suggest which is that it could be some sort of geological or terrestrial um, phenomena. Well, if that's the case, then the only question is, besides using background masking mm -hmm. noise, are there any sorts of physical or medical interventions that we can use to uh, reduce the suffering of, of uh, people? And now there are analogies out there in the world for things beyond hearing where natural phenomena will cause people to suffer. I mean, for example, if you go out into the sun without protection, you'll get a sunburn. Right. So this is a very simple-minded example. And in that case, there's fairly simple solutions. But nature does throw its, its dangers at us from time to time. So I'm not ruling that theory out yet. But the fact that the anomaly only started in the 60s, doesn't that say something as to what its possible origins might be? Yes, I believe that it's possible that even if, even if the sound is internally generated by the body, there may be triggers to it or some types of prerequisites. For example, we know that there are a large number of over-the-counter and prescription medications that are autotoxic. Auto mm -hmm. Even simple aspirin and certain um, antibiotics are, are known to do damage and to uh, interfere with the, uh, with the human auditory system. It could be that there are environmental triggers for example, you know that anybody, even like yourself, who works in radio or works in the sound industry or operates a jackhammer is at a great risk for tinnitus and vibroacoustic disease. Well, it could be that the hum may be subsequent to um, other types of environmental exposure. And even, by the way, even, even, even certain types or frequencies of electromagnetic radiation, we can't rule that out yet. Is there any correlation with the hum and the increased popularity and the increased spread of cell towers and the use of cell phones? None whatsoever. And, and in fact, I think it's a great experiment that at least one uh, person in demographics has already done, and I've, I, I've, I've repeated this. Take a map of population density of mm -hmm. North America and then take a copy of the world hum map and drop drop one on top of the other and you'll see a striking correspondence between population density and hum reports. Um, you can almost draw, draw a line from Winnipeg, Manitoba, down to Laredo, Texas, which is the great east-west population divide. In other words, hum reports follow population density, and anything else is simply a proxy variable. And the hum, greatly, by several decades, predates cell phone towers. But I thought you were talking about the 60s. And microwave dishes have been used in broadcasting since the uh, since the late fifties. Yeah, and in fact, microwave hearing is not science fiction. It's well established mm -hmm. by Doctor Alan Frey, but we can also immediately rule out that as a cause simply How? because be, simply, very easily, simply because, and this is sort of a a humorous way to in, interject some physics here. Tinfoil hats actually work against microwaves. Uh, not that I would know that I don't use them personally, but it turns out that high-frequency uh, electromagnetic radi radiation is mm -hmm. easily blocked by the thinnest layer of metal foil. And there have been some people who have used tried to use thin metal shielding to block from the hum, to block the hum, and all such efforts have failed. And in fact, when I ran my major formal experiment, when I built a specialized 
VLF blocking box, the so-called Deming box, mm -hmm. uh, that failed. And so I have no confidence at all that EM energies are a direct source of the hum. How about radar? Same thing. Uh, radar is up in the gigahertz range, and it, it's easily blocked by any significant thickness of uh, metal shielding. Well, you know, I used to live near Dorval Airport. And in the mornings when I would listen to a certain radio station, I knew when a certain radar uh, using that was used for uh, TRACCON was turned on at the airport because <laughs> I'd hear the beep, beep, beep coming over the certain frequency in the radio. Right. Okay, so that, that's not a very high gigahertz frequency. Oh, that, no, that's not my point. That, that's, just, that's crossover interference, but... The, my, my point is that, um, for example, if you put, just simply take your cell phone, mm -hmm. put it inside the microwave oven, and then try to call your phone, the call will not go through, simply because um, cell phones and microwaves are, are not that dissimilar in frequency. They're both up in the gigahertz range, and any such frequencies are easily blocked. Now, you might get crossover interference into AM or FM radio, but that's that's not the point I'm making. I'm talking about the blocking of such frequencies is a fairly simple matter. Okay, besides being a, a kind of cool scientific experiment, what is the significance of, of trying to track this down if governmental agencies aren't aren't uh, worried about this, if other or if 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 it's only the fringe that are interested in this, I'm not calling you fringe by any stretch of the imagination. I understand you're highly qualified, but if the government isn't worried about it, why should you? Well, let's answer that this way. And I think it, my answer says is an indirect, maybe, maybe a thinly veiled comment about the kind of world, world we live in. How can it be that in a country like ours, representatives of heart and cancer associations have to go door to door begging for money, for diseases that already affect 30 to 40% of us during our lifetime. They have to go door to door begging for research funding. Now, I think that's a scandal. I don't. Um, that, that they have to beg for research They're not funds. begging. They're not begging. Well, it's called well, soliciting. There's a difference between begging. You know, nobody comes to my door and says, listen, I'm, I've got a friend of mine who's dying of cancer. You know, can you, can you throw 10 bucks into the pot? That is begging. begging. They're but when you've got organizations, but, well, but if I'm you've got organizations, that and the reason why is because these funding for such research is is it's these things are vastly underfunded in our country. Now these are these are diseases that affect everybody. Okay, and already they're underfunded. So you can imagine the the mountain that we have to climb in our community. So I'm essentially agreeing with you, and just I bring in cancer and heart disease just to show you the the size of the challenge that we're facing. I don't get it. I don't, I, you know what? I no disrespect here, but you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Exo Nation, Dr. Glenn McPherson, and I will return on the, other, or on the other side of this break. Whatever you do, don't go away. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. 
Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Dr. Glenn McPherson's our guest this hour, Exonation, the hum.info. Um, I, listen, I understand that there's a lot of important things in life. I've worked for uh, the spinal regeneration people. I know how hard it is. I also know how much money it takes for clinical trials to get drugs through the proper processes. It's long, it's tedious, and it's very expensive. And I also know how much money the government puts into that. So to use the analogy that the government isn't supporting these major, um, you know, these major medical research centers enough that people have to go out and solicit funds. To, you know, comparing it to why the, if it isn't a significant event why they shouldn't be investigating something like the hum I, you know that's 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 apples and oranges um no um, maybe perhaps the intent of the comparison um maybe didn't come across clearly um i mentioned the the, the notion of funding mm-hmm. simply because major diseases that affect all of us are all you know funding for such research is I- inadequate so you can only imagine how interested governments would be in funding and researching what I'm studying. I hear you, but I disagree with you. Fair enough. Uh, you know, if on the other side that if this is the result of military maneuvers or military equipment, military um, communications. Mm-hmm. And if it was the government, wouldn't the government want to say, well, you know what, we can, we can do something about it? Almost certainly not, um, because even in cases where military activity or military technology has had a disastrous, a disastrous effect mm-hmm. on, on people, they simply haven't cared. Perhaps the best example of this that I can give was the preparations and advanced work that was done for the first hydrogen bomb test um, back in the early 1950s. Um, there was the American nuclear physicists at the time predicted that there was roughly about a 1% chance that the Earth's oceans would catch fire, in fact, essentially catch fire and destroy the planet. Mm-hmm. But, it, but then it was full speed ahead, and they simply did not care. And it's like that with any military technology and the, and the type of advocacy and political momentum required to uh, push back against that technology is, is massive. But nevertheless, there are peop- many, many people out there who want uh, me and others to get to the bottom of this. At least we'll know what we're dealing with then. And then what? Well, then, if it, if it turns into an impossible political struggle, then the question is, um, 
in fact, the answer is the same as if we're dealing with a natural phenomena, which is number one, well, basically the primary question, apart from uh, masking techniques, mm -hmm. um, is there some way using some other intervention that we can stop uh, people from hearing this? Has the medical community gotten involved in the research into the hum? Finally, they have. And um, just about a week ago, I signed a non-disclosure agreement with uh, an American uh, medical uh, corporation. I'll just have to keep it vague. And I, I hate vagueness on this. Everything I do is open source and transparent. But because of the agreement, I'll just keep it vague for now, where um, a corporation... Um, uh, let's just say, uh, shall we say associated with uh, medical data mm -hmm. has uh, decided to pick up my project and to include it in their medical databases, which is a, a huge step for us. And uh, again, I think after five or six years of banging away at, uh, at this, we've almost uh, succeeded in normalizing this issue. So what's your final goal? To number one, figure out what's causing this. And number two, to see if we can find a way to relieve, um, relieve the suffering for those who are suffering from it. Are there a lot of people suffering? I think a, I think a, a vast number. Now, um, we've got just over 17,000 reports in the current database, but with the backed up data waiting for upload, we're at mm -hmm. about 20,000. Now, it's difficult, again, to pinpoint the percentages involved. But again, worldwide, we easily, I think the number could be in the many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. As soon as we can get widespread reports out of China and Russia, then we'll have a much better picture of what the global scale is on this. What's in it for you? Well, it's nothing financial. I can certainly tell you that. And I can also tell you that I would really hoping that sometime soon a university lab or a serious private lab will pick this up so that I can get on with my life. I, there's a lot of things that I enjoy doing um, mm -hmm. in my life that I've pretty much put on hold for five years for this. And because a lot of people have put their faith in me to be a, a responsible and serious face, public face for this uh, phenomenon, I've, I feel the need to, to see it through. And even if a big university lab or some of the scientists steps in and, and, and take, takes all the credit, I don't really care. Why hasn't, uh, if this project has been going on for what, how many years have you been doing this? Five years? Well, five and a half years, yeah. Five and a half years. You're a member of the educational uh, field. How mm -hmm. come, how come uh, no universities picked it up? Well, uh, number one, there is zero corporate incentive. The University of British Columbia, with whom I'm associated, mm -hmm. and I'm not, a, I'm not the least bit afraid to say, is um, hugely interested and highly motivated by corporate relationships that have big financial backing and mm -hmm. the promise of financial return. There is no financial incentive to to solve this. But it, but if but if there is an illness. You have all these people suffering. If mm -hmm. a university was to get on board and confirm the data and say, yes, there is, and work with a pharmaceutical company, there would be mega millions of dollars worth of revenue to be made. That is what I'd like to think. And again, um, I think there probably, there are um, two, three, what's, his is interesting. I do have two or three quite serious um, scientists mm -hmm. who uh, I work with on this topic, but they have sworn me to not release their name publicly. They do not want to be publicly associated with this project yet. Um, perhaps in time they'll be more public about what they're doing. But I think the university community has to be convinced that this is not some pseudoscientific nonsense or some ridiculous conspiracy theory that I've done my best to wear down over the last few years. Why would they think that? Be, again, be, and because of all the unfortunate connections that have existed. Whenever you have something that's unexplained, mm -hmm. it invites all the silliness and all the speculation, and some of it's really unfortunate. Um, again, you, you should see some of the some of the stuff that gets sent to me, and um, people don't want to associate themselves with that. There is um, to there is no external um, instrument yet for quantifying the hum. Uh, I'm trying to convince people to 
um, let me conduct some experiments in that regard, but they're not going to give me access to the multi-million dollar medical equipment needed to do that. I have suggested several experiments mm -hmm. for it. But right now, um, they are not willing to attach their prestigious names to what, for many of them, to what many of them can still consider to be a, a somewhat fringe phenomenon. But what about the scientists in other countries like China, Japan, Russia, France, England? You mean there's no other qualified scientists who will go on record to talk about this or to do serious research? I'm going to Russia this summer, and... Um, and I, I, I have a reasonable command of a language. And so I'll be seeking out um, um, scientists uh, there just for informal conversations mm -hmm. and to go through some of the historic Soviet scientific literature to see if I can see reports of it. And maybe they'll take it more seriously. And I think that would be rather sad if that were the case. But um, I'm working closer to home now first. Where can our listeners find out more information about your projects? Um, there's two primary sources uh, from www.thehum.info and from that page you will see a link off to a very active uh, research and news um, blog where we have several scientists who help um, shape the discussion and keep things serious and also give some uh, practical advice for private um, researchers, people who want to make their own investigations and ask their own, start their own lines of inquiry. Do these uh, scientists uh, willingly give their name and identify themselves, or are these kind of like, well, scientists? Have, um, Bernie Hutchins, who was associated with Cornell University, has serious credentials. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, another um, fellow, uh, uh, fairly advanced radio engineer uh, out of out of Scandinavia, who prefers still at this point to not use his uh, last uh, name. Those are two quite prominent people on the blog who. Uh, generate a lot of uh, activity and, again, are provide a, a very serious sounding board for members of the public who want to learn more. All right, Glenn, I want to thank you uh, so much for joining us. And Exonation, if you'd like more information about The Hum, www.thehum.info. I totally disagree with him when it comes to tinnitus. I have a wife who lives through it. I know several people who lived through it, and contrary to what this gentleman believes, it can be diagnosed by the medical community. It does not have to be accepted by the doctors, by the person simply saying, I suffer from tinnitus. It is diagnosable. And the fact that major universities don't want to get involved, major scientists will not give their names to me, whether he wants to admit it or not, the majority of people look at this entire scenario as a woo-woo-ism. Best bet from yours truly, it's a natural phenomenon. We'll be back on the other side of this break as the... Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? 
we can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.